We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. You can turn there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. As you're doing that, I uh, am going to be reading a a little bit of a bigger section than we're going to be studying today in just a minute, and I'll tell you why. Um, I remember when I was a youth pastor, uh, we used to take students paintballing, um, both when I was a youth pastor here as well as another church I served at. We would go paintballing uh, quite often. And I remember when we would go paintballing, there were two different kinds of paintball courses we would go to. The one was in the woods. And so what you would do is you'd have this big wooded area, and within that wooded area, these woods, you would have different uh, barriers set up, and there'd like, be like different forts set up and different places that you could go, and uh, you could hide in or behind. And you would have a team on one side, a team on the other side, and they would blow like a whistle or sound a horn, and, and that's when you knew you could scatter into the woods. And so we would come up with different strategies. The one kid in the youth group, his family owned a farm, and so he had this big wooded area, and we would all get all geared up and have our paintball guns and stuff, and we would go into the woods, and and we would have our opposing sides, and we'd strategize. And so you would go, and you'd scatter, and the goal was to try to defeat the other team and get to their side. There was a line in the woods to get to their side and to capture their flag or take over their fort or base and get them to surrender. And so we would have pockets of people and you'd go about, you know, stealthily, at least what we thought was, and try to, you know, capture their flag. And, and so you didn't want to be heard. You didn't want them to know where you were at. And so as you would do that and you'd see someone, you'd hear a couple shots be fired of these paintball guns and you'd kind of know where people were at in the general vicinity. And so we would do that and there would be times that we would do that and a game would be over and people wouldn't even have to reload all of their paintballs to start the next game because they they still had quite a bit left because the only time you were really firing was when there was someone in front of you or that you were trying to take out but there were other times just strategy wise where you were maneuvering and not wanting to be seen well there's another course that we would go to and it was a speedball course and, uh, and I'm not like a paintball expert. I think it's called speedball is what the term is even for it. But it would be like this sh- like little field, almost looked like, a, almost looked like a, a, a miniature soccer field almost, where there would be a couple like small barriers set up but wide open in the, in the field. And literally what, the way you win that game is you have to take everybody out on the opposing side. Everybody has to be eliminated by getting hit by paintballs. And so uh, we would have our guns loaded up with paintballs and they would say go. And then it was just rapid fire of paintballs flying everywhere. I mean, you could hear everybody's cartridges going off. Boom, boom, boom. Like it was just nonstop until everybody basically ran out of paintballs and there was no more shooting that would happen. But it was speedball. It was rapid fire. That's what I think of when I think of these next 10 verses that we're going to read when Paul is going to lay out over the course of these next 10 verses instruction for the believer here in the Thessalonians church. Uh, because to this point, Paul has pretty, been pretty um, you know, uh, expanded in the understanding of what he's been trying to challenge these believers with. Uh, He devotes entire chapters leading up to this point of his letter to encourage the believer, to encourage them about their faith and encourage them about their witness for Christ, to encourage them about the gospel that was prevalent in their lives. He's devoted sections of his letter to this point to inform them about coming events and things that would be happening. He's devoted a section of scripture about his heart for them and his desires for them. And now he makes a transition where He's going to start off just with the first two verses 
being a little bit deliberate about his instruction, but then he's just going to go into rapid fire mode. And so uh, that's what I thought of. I thought of like paintball, speedball course of just boom, 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 rapid fire sequence of all of this instruction that he's going to close his letter out for the believer here in these next 10 or 11 verses. And so I'm going to read this morning to us 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. We're going to focus in on verses 12 through 15, but I want to read verses 12 through 22 so you get the full picture of this kind of rapid fire of instruction that Paul gives as he closes out his letter. It's almost as though Paul's been giving all this instruction, his, his, it's almost as though he's going to run out of paper, and so he just wants to start firing away, which I think is humorous, but at the same time, so good. So listen, here's what he says, verse 12, we ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And here he goes. Now it's only going to be on the screen through verse 15. That's all we're covering today. But just listen or follow along if you have your Bible to the remaining verses. And we urge you brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Uh, Again, every single one of these challenges or these instructions that Paul was given could be like a sermon on its own because he's giving so much instruction here, right? He, he is kind of like making a transition as he closes out his letter to like, okay, I'm going to include a bunch of things real quick now for you. I'm not going to elaborate on all of them, but I'm going to re-emphasize these to you, okay? And he just lays them all out there. And, and so I think all of them obviously are important, but we're going to focus this morning just on verses 12 through 15. And I feel like in doing these things that Paul is giving instruction for the believer to do, we will be giving evidence that we are who we say we are. That we are children of God, that we are followers of Jesus Christ, and that we're seeking to honor Him in the way that we live, in the way that we walk. And I believe these these rapid-fire instructions are so valuable, in particular today, because so much of what Paul lays out here is not happening today. So much of what Paul lays out here needs to happen today, and oftentimes uh, we as a church or we as individuals can be guilty of not doing these things. And so the first one he challenged them with is this, to respect and to desire God-given leadership. To respect and to desire God-given leadership. Verses 12 and 13, two verses that he devotes to this specific instruction. The last two verses that we'll look at today Verses 14 and 15, he's going to cover four other areas of instruction that we're going to look at. But these two verses are devoted to this. Respect and desire God-given leadership. Look again at verses 12 and 13. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Uh, Paul's making something abundantly clear here. He's not only making abundantly clear what the response of members of the body of Christ, of congregants, of believers, should be to the leaders that are over them, but he's also making abundantly clear what should be expected of the leaders that are over them. 
Uh, And I think both are so valuable and so important. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Paul lays out the reality that God, not man, but God, has put people into positions of authority spiritually and within the church for the edifying of the body of Christ. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. See, this, this reality that Paul lays out here in Ephesians chapter 4 is the same reality he's emphasizing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that God has positioned or appointed leaders within the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the admonishing and encouraging, so that the body of Christ may be built up in Christ. And he's very specific about what he has done to do that. He has given some to be pastors and teachers, evangelists, shepherds. He's given every member of the body a part to do. And in this particular section, Paul is talking about the response that the brothers and sisters in Christ should have to those who are laboring and over them in the Lord. Very specifically, he's referencing the responsiveness of the church to the leaders within the church that God has appointed and God has set up. And there are a few truths about the leadership within the church that are present here as well. First, we see in this passage, he mentions those that are laboring among you. Church leaders, elders and leaders within the body of Christ, should be laboring among the saints. This is a work that God has called leaders to within the body. And so you, as members of the body should be able to see that the leaders that are here are laboring, working among you to equip you for the work of the ministry. There's a sense of hard work and commitment and dedication to the work of the ministry on the part of the leaders that should be inspiring and leading those that are under their care. Church leaders should be laboring among the saints. You know, there are a lot of ways that that happens. Certainly that happens as it relates to the instruction and teaching of God's word. Certainly that happens as, as leaders, as we pray and, and lift you up in prayer, as we seek to give wise counsel and direction and wisdom and to lead by example and to pour our lives out out of love, care, compassion, and desire for you as members of this body. And I hope that you have sensed that, that you have received that, from those that are teaching and leading you. I hope that you have sensed and recognized that the elders in this ministry, the pastors in this ministry, the leaders within this ministry value, love, and care for you as the body of Christ that is here at Maranatha Bible Church. Uh, You need to know that we pray for you. 
We go through our, uh, we have a directory that has every single person who attends Maranatha, and we pray through the pages of that directory uh, every single week in our staff meeting. We pray for you on Tuesdays, and staff members are given uh, a page of names and families to pray for by name as we lift you up in prayer before the Lord. Uh, We regularly receive requests from our social media accounts and through emails and through handwritten notes of how we can pray for the body, and we pray for you regularly. Our desire is to make it through that directory all the time. We have a day of prayer set aside as pastoral ministry staff where we will go through the entirety of our directory in one day and set apart you know, that eight to ten hour time period of just praying all day for every person that attends Maranatha because we care for you, love you, and want to hold you up before the Lord. Uh, you hopefully have heard this, and if you haven't, you can hear it now. Our doors are always open to you. That if you need someone to sit, to talk with, to look at God's word with, uh, if you need counsel in God's word, if you need to pour your heart out and need someone to specifically pray for you, our doors are always open to you because that is why we are here. There should be this sense of understanding that the leaders within the body of Christ are laboring amongst you and want to equip you and sustain you and help you as we lead. That should be an expectation that every believer has of the leaders that are over them. Understand also, you know, he talks about them laboring among you, but he says they are over you in the Lord. Recognize that church leaders are accountable to the Lord for their leading. We recognize as elders and leaders in this ministry that we will give an account to God for our leadership. We will give an account to God for how we led the the, the body of Christ that was under our care. And that's a sobering thought. That's a sobering reminder that we are responsible to the Lord. We are responsible to the Lord for how we lead. And church leaders have given this, given this responsibility to teach, to lead, and to offer correction when correction is needed in the Lord. Very clearly, if you are ever at a point, whether it's at Maranatha Bible Church or any other church, where it is questionable if the leaders that are over you there are honoring the Lord, are following the word of God, are accountable to the Lord. If that ever comes into question, something needs to be said and something needs to be addressed. And so that's how you keep us accountable as members of this body, that if we are acting, living, or giving instruction in a way that is dishonoring to God or not in accordance with his word, then you need to speak up about that. You need to come and address that with the leaders of this church. So there's responsibilities for the leaders, but then Paul also gives very clearly the responsibilities of church members, of of the believer in Christ. Church members should respect the leadership that is over them as they labor among them. Listen, if the leaders are laboring well among you and honoring the Lord among you, there should be the sense of respect for the leaders that God has placed over you within the body of Christ. To the elders that God has placed over you in the body of Christ, there should be a sense of respect for those leaders. So not only should we desire it, but we should respect it when it's present. Church members should be brought to a sense of love and care for the leaders over them because of their work. There's this sense of love and care for the ones that are spiritually leading, directing, and guiding those under their care. That's the way God's intention is within the body of Christ. I hope you as believers in Christ here at Maranatha feel like you are loved by the pastors and leaders that are over you here in the Lord. I hope you, you sense that. And, and I want to encourage you, as, as one of our elders and pastors here on staff, I feel that same sense of love and care from you to me. 
as a pastor and leader here at Maranatha Bible Church, and I believe that's what God's clear intention is. And so if I could tell you, well done, well done, because you're doing that. But there should be this sense of love and care on the part of pastors, elders, leaders to their congregations, but also on the part of the congregation to the leaders that are over them. And church members should desire peace within the church, and this happens as there is unity around God-given and God-led leadership. Listen, there will be times when the elders or leaders of this body may make a decision that you disagree with. Believe it or not, we are not always going to think the same way about everything. (laughs) There will be some of those areas that God's word does not specifically address, and you may have a very strong opinion that differs from something that the church is doing. That is perfectly okay. (laughs) You're allowed to disagree and have a different opinion. It's perfectly fine. But there should not be such a disagreement where there becomes disunity around things that ultimately do not matter. There needs to be an understanding of of respect and care for the leaders that are making decisions within the body, and there should be a desire for peace. It's not just an add-on at the end of verse 13 when Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. That follows with a respect and love for the leaders that are leading and working among the body. And he says that you're to do these things, be at peace among yourselves. There should be a sense of peace and unity and oneness within the body as leaders are leading well and congregants are following that leadership. And so that's what God's desire would be for us. Respect and to desire God-given leadership. Secondly, correct those who are disobedient. After giving a couple verses to this instruction, this is where he begins to just kind of rattle off instruction. And the first thing he says in verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. Another way we could say this is to correct those who are disobedient. Those that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Those that are not honoring God in the manner in which they're supposed to be honoring God. And he says, admonish the idol. Correct the disobedient. Confront those that need confronted. This is hard. I mean, let's be honest. Is there anything more difficult than if you have a friend, a family member, a loved one, someone you care greatly for, and you see them doing or making a decision that you know is not correct, or you know is dangerous, or you know is wrong, and you so badly want to bring it to their attention, but you just pause thinking, if I do this, things will not be the same. Have you ever been there where where you know you need to confront, you know maybe it's a friend that was in a relationship you knew they shouldn't have been in. Or they were taking a job that you were like, they should not take that job. Or they were making a life decision that you were like, that is the wrong decision. And you so badly want to speak up, but you just kind of can't. Well, as a believer in Christ, we, together as the body of Christ, have a responsibility to one another to admonish the idol, to correct those who are disobedient. Now, there is a right way to do that, and there is a wrong way to do that. Um, You and I, as believers, should not be just eagerly awaiting the opportunity to confront, okay? If that's you, then you need to have a heart change about, about this area of correction and admonishing, okay? It's not a situation where God desires for every believer to constantly be looking at other believers and say, who can I correct today? That's not what he wants. 
but he wants us to be at peace with one another, to be at peace with the Lord, and to care enough about one another that when the hard time of confrontation comes, that out of love and care for one another, we're willing to do it. In Matthew chapter 18, it's that passage that speaks about church discipline and confronting a brother in love. And Jesus is speaking, and he says, If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Encourage the disheartened. Here, Paul or Jesus lays out in Matthew chapter 18 a formula, if you will, for how to go about restoring a brother who is is in sin. Someone who is living in sin or has sinned against you as a brother, there's this responsibility we have not to confront for the, for the purpose of confrontation, right? It's not to confront just because you want to confront. It's not to call out just because you're like, I'm calling him out on that because that's wrong. That's not what he's telling us to do. He's not doing it for the sake of just arguing. The purpose of addressing or confronting or admonishing is that we might win our brother or sister that we might see restoration take place, that we might see unity happen, that we might see restoration in the sight of God and in the body of Christ with one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is not a new command. It's not anything new. That's why I I believe in this list of instructions that Paul gives here. He didn't have to spend a great deal of time like talking about all these things because they already knew these things, right? They already knew they were supposed to do this, that they were supposed to admonish the idol, correct the one that is disobedient. It's not something new. And Paul says it again. If anyone's caught, you who are spiritual, restore him. Seek restoration. Again, don't miss it. Both in Matthew 18 when Jesus talks about the confrontation and Paul in Galatians 6.1 when he talks about confrontation, it is never for the sake of just to confront. It's for the sake of restoring. It's done out of love. It's done in humility. God's word tells us the one the Lord loves, he corrects. Even as a father corrects the child that he loves. If you have children, you know this, that when you correct your children, sometimes that is hard. Sometimes following through when there is discipline that's needed for our kids is the hardest part of parenting, is following through when it comes time for discipline. No parent wants to be known as like the bad parent or the strict parent or the one that is always laying the law down. It happens to be me and our family where, where I'm the one who they know. Like now my wife will correct as well. But when there's like a serious, serious talk that's needed, I'm the guy. And having four girls right now, like it's not always this way, but it's been this way for each one of them at some point. It's when we sit down and the moment I sit down with them and I know they're in trouble, tears start flowing before a word flows out of my mouth. And it takes everything within me not to just be like, honey, it's, it's okay, daddy loves you. Like, it's the hardest thing to, to, to still address the issue, to see through those tears, to see through the manipulation of my daughters trying to stop me from, from exercising the discipline. It's, it's so hard sometimes. But because I love my children, I love my girls because I want to see them love the Lord, but I want to see them make decisions that are right, and I want to train and teach them in the way they should go. 
the discipline must follow. And it takes everything within me not to do that, but, but it has to. It has to happen. In the same way, God, as a loving Heavenly Father, brings correction into our lives as His children. And in that same manner, we as brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another must do what is the most loving thing we can do when we see a brother or sister who is not being obedient to the Lord. And that is in love, in humility, and with great compassion. Admonish them. Seek to correct them in the Lord. It's hard. But it's so necessary in the body of Christ. Some of you sitting here today have probably been on the receiving end of correction of words of correction that has come from a brother or sister in Christ at precisely the time it was needed, and you know the benefit that that was to you. And hopefully you've been able to also, in a beneficial way, do that for another brother or sister in Christ. I love this verse in Proverbs 12, 1, where it says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Don't be stupid. (laughs) You should, and I should, love that correction and reproof when it comes from someone who loves us. I love in 2 Timothy 3.16, which is a verse that speaks about the inspiration of the Word of God, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. But listen to what Paul says it is profitable for. The Word of God is profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Isn't it something that In that list of what the Word of God is profitable for, it includes correction, reproof, and training in righteousness. You see how valuable and important this admonishment is in the Lord? This correction in the Lord? We need it. And we should be living and make it known. Can I challenge you with something? Make it known to those that are closest to you in the Lord that you know love the Lord and love you. Make it known to them that they have a green light to confront you when something is not right in the eyes of the Lord in your life. Let them know. I've told our staff, our pastoral staff, I'm like, if you ever see me doing something stupid, call me out on it. If I'm doing something that is dishonoring to the Lord, or you're like, hey, that's questionable. Confront me to my face, let me have it, and call me out on it. Because I need that. I wonder, do we have that? Are you willing to receive that? You'll have a much better chance of receiving it when it's necessary if you go ahead and give that green light to people you trust that are in your life that know and love you and know and love the Lord. And you say, hey, bring that my way when it's needed. It's a very important thing, but it's something we're called to as believers. We're called to that. Number three, verse 14, he says, help the weak. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. There are, even in this room right now, present day, at Maranatha Bible Church, Family Life Center, 11.50-ish on Sunday morning, people sitting in this room who are faint-hearted and feeling weak in their relationship with Christ, in their relationships with peers, in relationships with family. They are faint-hearted and they are feeling weak. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, the end of the verse last week, encourage one another and build one another up. The previous week, he said, encourage one another with these words. 
This is not something new. There are those within the body of Christ that are weak, faint-hearted, and weak not in the sense of, you're so weak, but weak is a sense they feel weakened because of all that's going on in their lives, because of all that's going on culturally. They are faint-hearted. They are weak. They are disheartened. They are discouraged. We are called to be a help to our brothers and sisters who are weak, disheartened, discouraged, First Thessalonians, again, 4 and 5, Paul already made this abundantly clear, and he says it again. He says it again. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Now, I want to just go to Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment in verses 23 to 25, and I want to share with something that's really been on my heart here. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to a group of individuals that were suffering persecution. And and during the early church, people's lives were being taken from them. They were being harshly commanded to no longer speak and teach and proclaim the name of Jesus. The desire of those that were ruling over them was to scatter them, was to separate them, was to disunify them, was to cause there to be fear and, and, and just a sense of fear and intimidation on them. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswaveringly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. He says in Hebrews chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, in the midst of all of that hardship and persecution and suffering, in the midst of a culture when the church was just getting going, that wanted to destroy the name of Christ and wanted to completely eliminate the church and the presence of the church, the body of Christ, and eliminate the presence of the preaching and teaching of the word of God. He says, let us not grow weary in this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because he is faithful. And he says, consider how we may encourage one another, how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How do we do that? Well, listen, this is something that today We're tiptoeing around in many ways because of what's going on in our world. But he goes on in Hebrews 10 to say, not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together as some who are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Right smack dab in the middle of this instruction about not giving up, about not losing hope, about the one who promised is faithful, about encouraging one another toward love and good deeds, about spurring one another on. He says, don't quit meeting together, as some are doing, because you need one another. Can I just encourage you today, as those that are present in this building with a reality, You cannot receive what you will receive from the body of Christ in gathering together with one another online as you will in person. And there is a time that there are those that need to gather online, gather online, and I am not faulting those that are watching online, and if that's you and you're here for the first time in a long time or you're trying to figure out what to do, I'm not faulting you, but what I am telling you is this. If you and I are capable of meeting together with the body of Christ, we should be meeting with the body of Christ. We need one another. And we cannot get that same sense of encouragement, joy, fellowship, and building one another up 
when we don't even see each other as we can when this can happen. When we can gather together in the name of our God. And we're commanded to do that. We're commanded to. And so I want to encourage you that if there are those in this body that you know that should be here, that can be here on Sunday morning to worship with the body of Christ, and they're choosing not to out of convenience, out of comfort, or telling you that they are getting just the same as they would get if they were here, please offer in humility and love a word of encouragement that that is just not true. That the body of Christ is meant to gather together in his name. And so they need to be here. Now again, I'm not talking about people who right now are legitimately not gathering and assembling together because of the risk that they have or because of whatever may be the case that is legitimate. But there are so many believers that I have heard as a pastor who are forsaking gathering together with the body of Christ out of sheer convenience. That I just like watching church in my pajamas. That I just like getting out of bed, rolling in bed, and rolling onto the couch and pushing play because it's so much more comfortable. That I just love it because I can eat my breakfast while watching it, and if I want to, I can also keep my eye on the news over here, and it's so nice because I don't even have to leave my bedroom. It's awesome. That is not a legitimate reason to not gather with the body of Christ. It wasn't a legitimate reason a year ago before this pandemic started. It's not a legitimate reason today. Whether we realize it or not, we need one another. That's what God says. And if we as the body of Christ can go month after month after month after month without physically seeing a brother or sister in Christ, without offering encouragement to another brother or sister in Christ, something's wrong with that. And we need to be here. We need one another. Missionaries have told us how crazy and ridiculous it is in believers' minds across the world that gather every week under the severe threat of persecution, of death, of imprisonment, of sickness, of disease, week after week after week, and with all joy proclaim and sing to their God and hear the teaching of the word because they are commanded by God to gather and they need one another and they do it. And yet here we are, a year, a year or more for some that have not gathered together out of fear, out of complacency, out of convenience. We need one another. We need to encourage and help the faint-hearted, the weak. How do we do that? if we will never see them. It's time that we have a greater commitment to Jesus Christ than we do our own convenience. 
It's time as followers of Christ that my commitment and your commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the body of Christ, means more to us than our convenience and our comfort. It's time for that. And so let's make that clear. Encourage someone. Help someone. Because it's needed. I'm out of time. He goes on in verse 14 to say, Be patient with all. And to seek to do good to everyone. Be patient with all and seek to do good to everyone. These are hard instructions, not new instructions. Necessary instructions, not new instructions. But they're that which God has called us to. My heart breaks. For brothers and sisters in Christ who have lost loved ones, who have been in positions of weakness and isolation because the body of Christ was not gathering. to encourage one another. That can't happen. Might we care more about one another and about the calling God has given to every one of us than we do even about our own convenience, safety, and well-being. Because he just matters more. This matters more. Our God is faithful. So let's trust Him. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. And thank You for Your love. God, I pray that You would help us to love one another to encourage one another and to never, Lord, forsake gathering together as the body of Christ that we would encourage one another, that we would build one another up, that we would love one another so ferociously, God, that all will know we follow you. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.